So that was a creative example for, <clears throat> for, an, for an entry protocol, for uh, preparation practice. So there was um, you know, the, the resource of the body, the resource of the Sangha, the invoking of what traditionally is called the refuge field. There was a, some, some bodhicitta, you know, so the vision together with uh, a trust in your inner beauty. And there was that moment of the reintegration, the capacity of your inner beauty, your Buddha nature, these uh, symbols here are reflections of. So in the end, we integrate that back. There's, uh, there's other uh, practices uh, connected with the, uh, with the preparation practices, like confession, which uh, we will look into as part of the karma teachings. Disclosure would be another word for confession. So to disclose, to open what you bring into the meditation practice. So not, not to hide. It could be easy within spiritual practice to hide, to hide your humanity. Really, it's so important that, that when you do any kind of spiritual practice to to always start with what you bring, what is here, and to become aware of, uh, lovingly aware, so that's always important in this, in this discovery, in this exploration of your inner life. It's crucial to have established and strengthened the muscles, the, the capacity to, to look at what is happening with love. That's something to really explore. What, what helps me there? Uh, and, and one help I, I suggested in our meditation now is to, to connect with someone who is embodying for you that tenderness which you want to discover in yourself. So that's why in the Tibetan tradition it's, uh, it's really recommended to cultivate a bond to a, to a teacher who, who can be that for you. Provisional. Not, not forever. Yeah? Provisional. I forgot to tell you the end of the story of my preparation for this weekend. I got sidetracked with, with other things. So I read this, you know, these books and searched on the internet around karma. It becomes really complex because there's not the one teachings within Buddhism around karma. 
it's, it's, you know, there's this different schools and different lineages and different views, and they, they all describe it differently. It, it's like, I mean, if you tried, try to, to get to a place uh, where you think, wow, yeah, I think I get it, that, that collapse very quickly. Yeah? So when you explore a topic like karma, one needs to get used to a cognitive dissonance between different views and yeah and then and I made notes and notes you know in a notebook I don't I don't remember when I did that the last time it's like 10 years ago yeah so yeah and then I uh, because I want to kind of bring the western teachings on trauma healing trauma into the weekend so I went there and that's like equally complex yeah and but what I was surprised, I did then some research into trauma-informed dharma, and there's hardly anything out there. It's quite amazing. Now you found trauma-informed yoga, trauma-informed mindfulness practice, there's more about that. Uh, so this is really like a... But of course it will come, you know, it, so it will spread, but... So the only teacher I found, uh, someone I had already made connections with, and uh, I also, at one point, I recommended his book here. Uh, his name is Miles Neal. He's a teacher in New York, a student of Bob Thurman. He's a psychotherapist, and he has uh, a study program, which is called the Contemplatives. Contemplative, I, I, I forgot the name. His book is The Gradual Path to Awakening. So if you are interested in the Lam Rim from a bit more Western point of view, I really recommend this book from Miles Neal, Gradual Awakening, it's called, which is actually mainly about what we just did. He does go into the other topics of Lam Rim. The main thing in this book is uh, the preparation practice, which... Uh, I mean, reading his book a few years ago really, again, brought me back to the importance of these practices. And you know, if, you, if you look at these preparation practices from a, like, just superficially, then there, there could be like, oh, this is just rituals, it's just prayers. In this meditation, I, I kind of wanted to inspire you to like, find your own your own way in that. Pick those practices and creatively make them your own, but not uh, just throw them out. Just experiment with it. Does it make a difference, for example, when you have a daily meditation practice, which is recommendable, if you prostrate, if you light a candle, if you make the place nice, if you take time enough to establish a posture, work also on the posture through yoga or other, other body work. Find out yourself that, that it does make a difference. And then bringing prayers into the body, into your experience. I mean, you're not taking refuge by saying, I take refuge to Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. This is just a parrot. Saying these words, does, does a parrot take refuge? No. 
It's something to bring into the body, into the experience. So that, that was Miles Neal, and I actually bought, you can buy uh, the part of his study program, which is around trauma. So I watched that. It's like 16 hours yeah? <laughs> of videos and material. <laughs> and I make notes, and I make notes, and I make notes. And then on the train, I wanted to take out the notebook of, out of my bag, and then I realized I forgot it. <laughs> Which is maybe not a not a bad thing because you know then I need to digest what I've read and uh, I can share with you only what I what was really meaningful for me. But, but it's, it it will be of course uh, subjectively you know, that which I could digest from all this material. So it's in a, in no way complete. Yeah? So it's very. This is kind of my view on what I digested from all this writing and points. And uh, is there any question, comment? Yeah. That's something to explore. That's what My Miles Neal, uh, you know, tries to do. What are the common? And I will look at this. We will look at this a little. But it's it's really a new exploration. If you search it, if you Google it, there's no there's no writings around it. Yeah, except the work Miles Neal did so far. Yeah, in the Buddhist world. Yeah, of course. In in the so if you Google karma and trauma, the only one you find is Miles Neal. It's something necessary to research and and to explore. That has have a They have so many. Uh... Yeah, they they would I think describe that process with the perspective of karma. If I kind of try to talk about what I've understood, what trauma is, maybe first I'm not talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, like shock trauma, rape, war. So that's one category of trauma, big, big trauma, big trauma. Yeah? But if you have had experiences like that in your life, the things I'm going to say this weekend will be helpful for that also, but it's very likely if you want to go deeply into a spiritual practice that you would need some professional help. This is thing. It's it's a kind of at one point a kind of pledge, a kind of promise you make to yourself to not repress and not to. Deny your pain. Like kind of hoping, if I don't look at this, if I keep drinking and being busy and going shopping, then somehow this doesn't exist or it goes away by itself. It doesn't go away. 
even if we if we look at even if you look just at one life, it doesn't go away. In fact, it shapes your perception of reality moment by moment, day by day. The, re- the way you relate to others is shaped. It doesn't go away. It, we, we are super suppressors, so we put it into the, into the, into the alaya vijnaya, into the subconscious. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect us. Uh, so, but then there is that kind of other trauma, which um, is something I think we can all recognize in our history, in our psychological history. Let's say, let's see if I can, and tonight I will read it up again. And also, no, if you know something about trauma and I say something really stupid, please, yeah? This is really like a, an exploration. So if you know something which needs to be added or if I say something which is completely out of, out of line, then uh, please tell me. Yeah. I really want to explore this uh, and this is the beginning. I mean, I have been interested in trauma since many years. I have not talked about it, so it's, it's new for me. That means also I will make mistakes. Just that's, that's always good if you're listening to teachings to appreciate that every teacher is partial. And that's for sure the case uh, by me. Also, what is important, I think, for me as a teacher, and I would anyone encourage who teaches or works with people, to be transparent in the sense not to try to make uh, an appearance that I'm done. That's why I told you this story about my childhood. It's so important that in the Sangha yeah, that we feel safe enough to disclose, disclosure, the opening to how, how, what is really happening. at least to start with that. It really sucks that in some of these sacred places of the Tibetan tradition that exactly that is not happening. It leads to more pretense, to fake Buddhist smiles, to fake kindness, and to, a, a, and to, like, and to like a facade of ripe Buddhist behavior. I, I always try to be kind of authentic in my f- own failures or uh, in my own struggles. It's really important to do that. I mean, I guess we all, you all have a sense of when I use the word trauma, if I broaden it to a psychological trauma. Trauma is a syn- syndrome which uh, process within us, which comes into existence when something unexpected happens in our life, something we are not prepared for, which is perceived as a threat for life or body harm or emotional harm. It is perceived like that. So this is very important. So it's not the event which is traumatic. 
It's the way we perceive it. Let's say, as a child, your mother had this idea, it's good to let you cry and alone. It's good to, to let you alone. And as for a vulnerable child, for that is being perceived as a threat of life. Yeah? So it's, it's subjectively. From outside, it's maybe just a little thing. But there's, if that particular, if this kind of experience happen again and again, it kind of sums up. So here we, t- we are not talking about trauma in that sense. There's this one event, like a rape or a, an experience in war where someone tried to kill you. Yeah? So it is these events where you are unprepared for, which you perceive as a threat for your life, and your coping strategies, they they can't integrate that experience. They can't integrate these feelings. They are too much. And that leads into an experience of a helplessness. The emotional energy, for example, if it was something which happened when you were older with your parents, and an appropriate response, a coping strategy would would be helpful at that moment, would be anger. But a four years, a five years old, completely dependent on her parents, anger is not an option. So anger is suppressed. And the thing is, it doesn't go away. That residue, it leads to, it creates a habit of emotional suppression. It creates habits of perceiving relationships in a certain way. It colors your perception. You will find yourself drawn to similar people and similar situations and you will respond to these people and to the situation not with the coping strategies as an adult but with that coping strategy of repression or disassociation out of the body, disconnection from the body. From a Tibetan point of view, the explanation why why that event happened, they would say because uh, there's a connection with how you acted in relationship to other people before. So how to, and that's what we are going to look at this weekend, so how to um, how to heal, how to resolve that stored that suppressed emotional energy. The medicine, the medicine is to in the body to approach that complex, to approach the experience with love 
with an empathetic looking at it. That was my first attempt. Did it make sense? Anyone who knows something about trauma thinks I missed something important there? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> so both in the in the work or in the healing of context of karma one talks about purification, but actually maybe healing also there would be a better word than purification. No, purification is it sounds a bit like there's something wrong with me, there's you know, and I need to kind of get rid of it. Also the work with with the residues of how you acted in the past, I think it's it's a good word to call it healing. But both both these healing processes must include the going through. The way out is to go through. Not like by yourself, because that would be just re-traumatizing yourself, so you would just be overwhelmed, and, but with resources, with the support, yeah? like with what I presented you with the preparation practices, so that's one part of it. And if we can't do it with that, it becomes too much. No, you feel stuck in your practice. No, you keep on doing the right thing, but you notice nothing really changes. I don't travel lighter through life. I'm practicing, I'm practicing, but I don't travel lighter. I look back and I can see, wow, I'm, I'm the same asshole like five years ago. I have the f- same inner struggle like five years ago. Then probably it could be helpful to do some, some psychotherapeutical work. some body work, becoming interested about, uh, around your psychological history, starting to understand where the way you relate to others, why you can't keep healthy relationship to others, why isn't there more creativity and authenticity in my life. That has reasons. And as a Buddhist practitioner, what you stop to do is to blame others. Which is like a defense mechanism. You just blame others. You continue to blame others. As a Buddhist practitioner, make that pledge to do this healing work for the benefit of all. Maybe the last thing for tonight. One symptom that there is something, some, some emotional repression as a habit. And we will look at this tomorrow. How can we detect that a little? 
that habit of emotional suppression, for example, of anger. Kind of one symptom how these, the emotional suppression shows up in our life is through somatic symptoms in the body. At least that's what I do. Whenever I have some, something going on in the body, tension, pain, some discomfort, some soreness somewhere in the body, like any symptoms in the body, of course, I, I can do whatever is possible on, on the kind of physical level. But what I always add to that is the question, how is that connected with the possible suppression of emotions? How is that connected with something which happened in my life? How is that connected with the teachings on karma, a symptom? of tension, of pain in the body, to add that dimension to it, to that exploration. You know, back pain and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm always integrating that, that view on it, you know, trying to unpack it, trying to be curious about that, starting to talk with the pain. Why are you here? What's your message? What do you need? I treat symptoms in my body in the same way with, um, with psychic, psychological processes I'm aware of. I take care of it. And not in one year. And I take care of it because I want to benefit others. And it's so easy for us to, to repress or to deny or to kind of try to look into the other direction in emotional pain and also in physical pain. Because we have this tendency, this deep tendency to avoid pain. It's crazy in a way from that point of view to get the encouragement and the invitation to turn around towards that which hurts in my psyche and in my body. And probably not ever, everyone would agree with that, but I feel that any physical symptom has a psychosomatic dimension to it. It's so important to listen to the body. Not to just take painkillers, but to actually use that as an opportunity. That's also another kind of advertising for that work. Actually, the pain, the physical or the emotional pain, has so many gifts to give. They are treasures. They are the places where we can start to, to discover genuine compassion, genuine empathy. There's wisdom in the pain. 